You're listening to the Desperation Podcast with Pastor David Martin in the final week of the Icon series. DSM, how are you guys doing tonight? Oh, oh, this is going to be a good night, man. Give it up for the worship. Can we just give it up for the worship team? Man, it's so amazing. So blessed to have them. I have to say, uh, before I get into it, Every person should have a person like this in their lives. So Sarah and I and my family, right around three, less than three years ago, we lived in San Antonio, and we were called to move to Manitou Springs. We didn't know anybody up here. We were scared to death, okay? And we wrestled with this, but God was saying, go, I will be faithful. But guys, when we sing this song, No Longer Slaves to Fear, I want you to understand, this truly was our anthem song for this season. We were so scared. We were like, God, what was going to happen to us when we moved to this place that we don't know where we're going? But guys, this is why, one of the reasons why it's so important to have spiritual leadership and authority in your life that you will submit to. And the reason why is because God has put it this way to where they can speak into our lives and lead us and point out things that we need to know because there are spiritual fathers and mothers and leaders. This is why it's so vital to submit to leadership. And so listen, I was, my wife and I were attending this church in Bernie, Texas called 1910 Church. And I had a pastor and still have a pastor who became one of my best friends and one of my biggest cheerleaders in ministry. (laughs) And so I'm so thankful for this man. Because when I got out of ministry in 2013, I was not planning on getting back into church ministry. I felt like I was done for that season. And there was nothing in me that wanted to be a youth pastor. I was done. And then I started going to this church. And this, his wife... And this pastor, they loved us, they led us, they got us healthy so that we could be sent out for the next season so that I could be your youth pastor. This matters. His name is Jason Brown. And so I'm in my office this afternoon just working through my sermon saying, Lord, I got twice as much sermon as I've got time tonight. And I'm praying. Someone knocks on my door in my office in the World Prayer Center. I'm like, who in the heck is bothering me? Don't they understand I'm trying to put a sermon together and preach it, bring this fresh bread to my students? I open the door, surprise. I couldn't believe it. Pastor Jason Brown is at my door tonight. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. It was like the 4th of July and Christmas rolled into one. And so anyway, I just want to just honor my pastor, Jason Brown. Jason, would you stand up? He's with us tonight. Give him an awesome DSM welcome. Come on, you can do better than that. You can do better than that. I love you, bro. I love you. I'm a product of your ministry, and we'll never be the same for it, so I love you, man. Welcome back to DSM. Man, it has been such a powerful year, but what a tremendously powerful month. How many of y'all were with us last week? Let me just hear a woo. Okay, all right, all right. Last week was sick, right? Was it not? Okay. All right, two people are like, yeah, I guess. Uh, Anyway. Here's the thing, we talked about, we're talking about identity, and one of the things that we're opening up is this idea that identity is everything. Because without understanding your place and understanding what God has designed you for and understanding who you really are, when you look in the mirror and you actually like what you see, without these things, our culture, your friends, the lies that are whispered into your ears, there will be labels that start getting put on the mirror that should be reflecting the nature of God. And all of a sudden you'll start seeing loser, hypocrite, phony, fake, pervert, drunkard. Weed smoker, fill in the blank, and all of a sudden that's what you will become because that's all you can see. And we're here tonight in this series to to dispel the lies and the labels that have been put on you guys so that you can walk in greater freedom, so that you can know who you really are as icons and sons and daughters of God, right? And I shared last week that when your true identity is discovered, you'll be able to discover your true identity. Purpose. Now that should be up there. So slide worker, we, I got a lot to share. So put that up there because that's so good. That's a good word for you guys. Right? Because how you see yourself will determine what you become and what you do with your life. So as we kind of think through these big questions of like, okay, David, I'm a teenager and I'm asking these questions like, how did I get here? Right? 
Why am I here on this earth? The first question you've got to ask before you ask those is, where did all of this start? It started with a conversation. Everybody say conversation. It started with a conversation between Jesus and God the Father. We get, like this, this curtain gets pulled back and we get to see before the beginning of time that the two of them are talking. And this is what they say. Then God said, let who? Let I or let us? You see, Jesus always was and is and is to come. He is forever. He is eternal. The same yesterday, today, and forever. So God and Jesus, but with the, in concert with the Holy Spirit, let us make human beings in whose image? Our image. They did not say this about any other creature on planet earth. Just us. Made in the image of God. So God created human beings in his own image. And this is why we've called this DMC, DSM series called Icon. Icon. Not Eacon, it's Icon. Because each of us were designed uniquely by God to be who we are uniquely, but to reflect the unique and beautiful nature of God. To be a mirror-like representation, which is the actual definition of icon. If you put that up on the screen, there you go. Awesome. Icon. To be like a mirror-like representation. If you read the Bible, if you're, maybe you're new here and you're just checking DSM out and maybe you don't know a lot of the Bible, and that's okay, we're so glad that you're here. But what you will find, there's this overarching narrative, this overarching story that's taking place that ultimately starts out by saying God created us in his own image. We were designed originally to reflect the image of God. Perfect, eternal, embody the love of our Father, but each human being had this thing in us. We were hardwired to want to go off on our own path, and ultimately we want to be the God in our lives. We want to serve ourselves, right? And what happens is, if only one person did it, that's bad enough, but when you have 7 billion people on planet Earth all at the same time trying to do their own thing for their own benefit, inevitably, Pain, brokenness, loss, scars, death, sin comes into the situation. The scars on your heart tonight are reflective of what I'm saying right now. Because people have chosen to take their own path. The problem is, is when you take your own path, you have to walk over other people to get to where you want to go. Because of selfishness, because of sin, because of brokenness came into our world, we stopped reflecting the image of God. We no longer looked like God anymore. We looked like some sort of weird version of something that kind of used to look like God. But there's brokenness within us. There's sin within us. And we lost our iconic status along the way. We no longer looked like sons and daughters of God. But Jesus. Everybody say, but Jesus. Okay, this is the good news, guys. He came to the very beings he created, these lost icons trying to find their way back to God, to make a way for us to rediscover the identities and the purpose that he planned before the, the foundations of the earth for you and for me. Jesus came on this rescue mission. This is a big deal because Jesus came not to just restore us, but to restore our relationship with the Father. And this is a bigger deal than what you think. We're going to be talking about this tonight. Over the last 14 years, just by God's grace, I was thinking about it yesterday. And I'm like, at this point, I have literally had the privilege to minister to over tens of thousands of students. Whether in this type of format and one-on-one. -on -one. one of my favorite things to do as your youth pastor is to sit right there after DSM and have you share stuff with me. Pour out your guts. You can vomit on me. I love it when you vomit on me, okay? It's a safe place to vomit. There's going to be that one kid in here. Let me clarify. That's figurative. There's going to be the, hey, Dave, watch this. No, 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 no. Don't get weird. I'll straight up, I'll, I'll hit a minor, okay? I'm not, I'm not afraid. <laughs> you puke on me, you get hit. All right, that's just all there is to it. But over the last 14 years, I've ministered to thousands and thousands of students. And what's interesting is I started thinking about it. And you know there's one major thread that when you start going back in time with a student and listening to their story, they have pain here, but many times you know where it started? Back with issues that they've had with their fathers or earthly fathers. And that's heavy. And we're about to get heavier. I'm going to preach a lot of Bible tonight. Y'all ready for that? Can I do that? Can I preach a Bible, Bible in church? Okay, great. But, and I'm not trying to like say every father's bad, I'm not saying that, but I'm just simply saying that when you start tracing the steps back, many times you will find a father 
who is a good man, who works hard maybe, does some of the right things. But maybe he didn't grow up with a father that did those things. You see what I'm saying? This is a generational thing. And normally you will find that there is a father who didn't honor or fulfill his role as a father in the way that would help this student reflect the image of their father because that father reflects the image of God. And so something gets lost along the way. There's this pastor who I was studying as I was doing research for this sermon. And he shared this story. And I'm going to read it to you. He, when he was younger, he served at this psychiatric hospital, okay? And, and, and he's in the hospital, and this is his very first day as an intern at the psychiatric hospital. And I'm just going to read word for word what he said. He said, it began on my first day as an intern at a psychiatric hospital. It ended with the Lord opening my eyes to the life-changing power of a blessing. That day at the hospital, for a full shift, I sat next to a young man on 24-hour suicide watch. He was tall. He was handsome, he was well-mannered, true story, well-mannered, an excellent student. In fact, he, say, he goes on to say he was a straight-A student in high school, for th and for three years in college, he was a straight-A student. When he caught the flu the first semester of his senior year, so he's got the finish line ahead of him, all of that changed. In a required PE course, okay, that his instructor gave him, he gave him an automatic grade reduction to B. Why? Well, he acquired the flu, and he wasn't able to make all the classes. He got a B. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Pastor Jason and I were talking about this right before I was preaching. I loved seventh grade so much I did it twice, okay? <laughs> Pastor Jason, when you come in as a guest speaker, I'll just let you tell on your own academic pursuits or the lack thereof. So here we go. So when the young man found out that there was no extra credit, no, ways to, no way to substitute other classes, and now no way to change this B to an A or even drop the course, this young man had made A's his entire life and for three years in college. P.E., he gets a B, and this is what happens. He left the teacher's office, went back to his dorm room, and he tried to take his life. And he would have succeeded had his roommate not unexpectedly returned at the point in which he was on the bed bleeding. And what this pastor goes on to say, he says, as we sat and we talked for hours, and I tried not to stare at his bandaged wrists, this young man poured out his heart to me. His story included a brilliant but very demanding father who was an engineer who had himself gotten straight A's himself and demanded nothing less from his oldest son. Now listen, don't mishear me. Make good grades. But it highlighted something. Parents should expect you to be the best you can be. Don't mishear me. But it highlighted, he says, how hard this young man had tried all of his life to gain the favor of his father. And ultimately it led to how his failing to get an A in a tennis class brought the death of a dream and nearly the death of his own life. And what he finished by saying is this, and this is where we're going to springboard tonight as we talk about identity. The young man desperately wanted something he couldn't define. Does that sound like you tonight maybe? That there's something in the quieter moments of your life that you're like, I need something and I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. I can't define it. He goes on to say he longed for something he couldn't put words to that was, there's just, Something that is always in sight, yet somehow never within the reach. I think if you and I sat down at Starbucks and we were in the blessed and highly favored chairs, right? Glory to God. And we we're hanging out there. And I shared the story. I believe that sadly too many students in Colorado Springs could relate to that. The pressure. And the pressure is just so you can have your father say, you matter to me. I love you. You see, no matter where you're at in your life tonight, the truth is underneath the masks, underneath the performance, there's a person that wants to know that they matter and that they are approved of by their dad. Can we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, this is your word, and may I faithfully deliver it. Lord, I pray that I would simply reflect the nature of Jesus tonight. God, have your way. Jesus' name, by your spirit, testify to your word. Amen.
All right. So there's a story I got to share, okay? And this story, man, you talk about dysfunctional and messed up, but you basically got these two characters in this story, these main characters, and they're dying. They, they, had, they need their identities affirmed by their father, and we're going to kind of dig into this a little bit, but there's, starting at the very beginning, there's this couple, and there's this couple, Isaac and Rebecca, and they, they can't have kids. As hard as they've tried, they can't do it, and so they begin to pray to God. They're like, okay, God, please, would you give us a child? Give us a child. God says, I'll do one better than that. I'll give you two. Two for one prayer. It's amazing, right? And so all of a sudden they pray and they pray. Well, this is where we pick up in the story. Y'all ready, DSM? Tonight's going to be a strong night. Here we go. Genesis 25, check this out. Now, before Rebecca, Rebecca's the mom, before she gave birth, she knew she was going to have twins because she could feel them inside of her fighting with one another. Dude, I was thinking about that, and I was like, I have a younger sister who's six years older than I am. And, and I was just thinking, man, if we were twins, this would totally be us. We would be coming out of our mother's womb with black eyes and stitches. One of us would have a cast on. This is so us. It is so true. But check this out. When Rebecca gave birth, the first baby, now listen to this. The first baby that was coming out, guys, was covered with red hair. So they named homeboy Esau. Now, I'm going to back up one more time. Covered baby in red hair. Sounds like a beautiful kid. That's, that's like one of those parents, you know, they'll show you the picture of the baby or they post it on Instagram and you go, yeah, that's an ugly child, right? We don't hit like, we just keep scrolling, you know. I would scroll on this one, okay. I may actually put that account on mute. So you got the hairy red-headed baby coming out. But guys, it gets even weirder. As the hairy red-headed baby starts coming out, or the hairy red baby, right? Dude, there's a hand reaching out of the mother, hanging on to the heel of this hairy red. Okay, listen, you know how they go, oh, childbirth is so beautiful. Are you kidding me? This sounds like a nightmare, right? <laughs> hairy freakish baby coming out, and then there's a hand reaching out like not so fast. Weird. Okay, all right. I'll cut the commentary. Let's keep going to back to the word of God. The second baby grabbed onto his brother's heel, so they named him Jacob. Well, you go, well, what does that mean? Jacob means heel grabber. I think it's an appropriate name. It also means someone who deceives or betrays. And so these two young boys, these babies are born, and the creepy red-headed baby and Jacob, they both grew up. And here's how things looked in their house. You ready? When the young men grew up, Esau, the red hairy guy, became an outdoors man who knew how to hunt. And I was thinking about that. And I was like, you know why he knows how to hunt? Because he looks like an animal. If you're just like a deer, you're like, oh, yeah, that's just an animal. Oh, my gosh, there's an arrow in me. You tricked me, red-headed freakish man. Right? But here's the thing. He can, he, he's like this manly man. He could throw a football. His father's like, yeah, that's, I like him the best. But for Jacob, it says, Jacob became a quiet man. Who stayed at home? I would be Jacob in this story. Let me just be up front, okay? Isaac, their father, they loved es he loved Esau because he enjoyed eating game. And so his son was always bringing him great food, you know? But Rebecca, she loved Jacob. Now get the dynamic here, y'all. So you have Mr. Outdoors Esau. Father thinks he's the best ever. And then there's Jacob who likes to hang out indoors with mom. Total mama's boy. And we learn a little bit later, he just likes to hang out, and he's got really, really smooth skin, probably moisturizes on occasion, right? And he likes to cook. You get the contrast here? And dad loves the manly man. He doesn't love the kid that cooks and stays at home with mom. And this creates jealousy and insecurity on a level unbelievable. Once Jacob, though, he was boiling some stew, as he does, right, he's cooking, and Esau came in from the field, he was, he was what, what does it say? He was, come on, DSM, what was he? This is so huge, you don't even know. He was hungry, and he said to Jacob, I'm starving. Let me devour some of the red stuff. Brother, it's called soup. What is he, a caveman, right? <laughs> Give me some of the red stuff. So Jacob, the deceiver, he's sharp. He sees an opportunity. His brother's hungry. 
He wants some red stuff because he's got a vocabulary and a lexicon of a four-year-old. Jacob says, all right, sell me your birthright today. Now, a birthright is a particular right of possession or privilege that someone has from birth, especially an oldest child. So the big hairy dude, he's favored and he's got the birthright, which means that he gets the majority of his father's inheritance when his father dies. This hairy weirdo is set up for life. But Jacob doesn't like his identity. And he goes, I'm going to try something that's crazy. How bad do you want the soup? Because if you want it, I'll give it to you because you're hungry. But it's going to cost you something. Everybody say cost you something. Esau is so dramatic in this moment. He's so hungry. He is so driven by his appetite that he says this. He's like, man, listen, I'm going to die anyway. What is he talking about? Does he have a terminal disease? No, he just hasn't had lunch. That's it. He says, I'm about to die anyway. What, what good is my birthright to me, man? Who knows when the old man's going to die? I'm hungry. I see a lot of students do this. And what I mean by that is Christian students. Let me back up and clarify who I'm talking about. These are students, I've been doing this for 14 years, y'all. I've seen a couple of cycles of y'all come through my door. And what I find is that students who grow up in a Christian home, this is a good thing. I, my, my children have grown up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Christian home with, a, you know, with an asterisk next to it. But I grew up in a Christian home as well. I was a pastor's kid. But here's what I've seen growing up, but also as a youth pastor, is that students who grow up in these great environments, sometimes here's what happens. They're so used to having the iconic status of a child of God, a reflection of God, that it's just normal. It's really, it's nice, but it's not that, I mean, it doesn't like, whoa, I'm a child. No, it's like, okay, this is good. It's nice. I like it. They're so used to having the status so that they have a tendency not to guard it, though. And what happens is they don't understand that your identity as an icon of God is something you are, have to be fiercely protective over. And here's the reason why. Because we all get hungry, right? And we all have appetites and we have these needs. God's not against someone eating lunch or red stuff. But here's the problem. When you don't value your identity as a son or a daughter of God, a hunger will come into your life, a hunger for popularity, a hunger for a sexual experience, hunger for status, fill in the blank. And when these hungers come up in your life, if you don't understand the value of what it is that you've been given by God as a co-heir with Christ, you will not protect it. And all of a sudden, you have students who are children of God who says, I will give you your day, every day, the daily bread that you need. We walk around and we act like we're starving to death. We're going, I'm going to die unless I have these things. And we're so willing to go to the bargaining table, like what's taking place here, to exchange our status and not even guard it for something that we're hungry for tonight. But listen, he's serving a God called hunger because he doesn't protect and value his identity. But it comes down to this. Esau is about to do something really stupid. But let's not let Jacob off the hook. While he's very smart and he's conniving, the old heel grabber is pulling a really cool move here. You have a one brother that doesn't guard his identity and you have another brother who when he looks in the mirror, he says, I need to be something other than what I see. So you have an issue where neither brother is valuing the identity that God had given them before they were even born. Okay, here we go. So, verse 33. So these two brothers... Homeboy wants to eat red stuff. Jacob said, give me your word today. And he, and he did. Esau, in this moment, guys, sold his birthright to Jacob. So Jacob gave Esau bread, and it's actually called lentil stew. <laughs> he ate. Oh, he's feeding his appetite. He's hungry, but now he's getting full of this red stuff. He ate, he drank, he got up, he left, he probably burped, showing but listen to this, showing how much he thought of his birthright. Is that what scripture says? How, just how little, how little, careless with his birthright. Thousands of years later in Hebrews 12, Esau comes up in the conversation again. That's a heck of a mistake. When thousands of years later, so you have an appearance in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you're not represented in a great light in either one, you've really messed up. It says, see to it that no one is sexually immoral, 
Guys, that's one of the biggest appetites that we all struggle with. Let's be honest. We have these hungers, these desires. It's not a sin to be hungry. It's not a sin to desire something. It's how you get it, though, and what it costs you to get it. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, for who a single meal sold his inheritance, his rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what had been done. Guys, if you claim to be a son or a daughter of God, like we just sang a minute ago, it's your job to protect your identity that your heavenly father has given you. That's your job. You have to own it. Do you value it? Or are you in a season right now where you are actually thinking about selling out to satisfy your hunger? I say that because when we give into our hungers for today, we run the risk of cheating ourselves tomorrow. Everything has a cost. Everybody say everything has a cost. So my question to you tonight right now, Christian students, is this. Are you controlling your hungers or are your hungers controlling you? Let's fast forward a couple of years now. After the soup incident, we'll call it that. Now, let's do a little story time with Dave. Y'all ready? So Isaac is now the father is really old and he's about to die. This is where we pick up in the story. Isaac was old and almost blind. And when he called in his firstborn son Esau, who asked him, he says, Father, what can I do for you? Isaac replied, I'm old and I may die at any time. So here's what I would love for you to do. Would you go hunting with your bow and arrows and kill a wild animal for me? Can you do me a solid? Cook me some of that tasty food that I love so much. Would you bring it to me? I want to eat it one more time before I die. And at the same time, here's what I want to do. I want to give you my blessing before I die. You see, check this out. In this culture, okay, there was this legal formality. In order for the firstborn son to inherit the blessing, to inherit the rights, to be able to get this inheritance, the father had to affirm his son and his identity by speaking a blessing over him. And it just so happened, though, that Rebecca, Isaac's wife, is leaning around the corner listening to this whole thing. She goes, oh, my word. That's how Rebecca walked, guaranteed. She goes to Jacob. No, probably not. She probably, I don't know. I don't know how she walked. It's unimportant. So she goes, she goes over to Jacob and she's like, sweetheart, this is your chance. If you want that blessing, you better get on, get on it quick. Okay, let's get a plan. So here's what happens. He runs out. He grabs some meat. Mom begins to cook. He goes through Esau's closet, pulls out Esau's clothes, puts it on, but he's got that smooth, good skin. Esau is completely hairy like an animal. And so why don't we just put lamb's wool all over you? Good idea. Get out the super glue. Let's make this happen. So he starts slapping wool all over his hands and his neck and everywhere, okay? Guys, it just goes to show when you don't understand your identity, you'll go to stupid, ridiculous lengths to become something. Because unless you're something, you're nothing. That's what our culture says, right? This guy's willing to dress up like a moron. Because he needs an identity. He needs affirmation from his father. So Jacob comes walking in. And I don't know what he's really expecting. But I think that he's just always longed to hear his father say, I love you. Jacob, you matter to me. Sure, I love you, weird, hairy brother. But I've got room in my heart for you too. This is a picture of what so many of us are tempted to do, guys. Because we're, because we're insecure in our own identities, because we feel overlooked by people, our temptation is to begin to act and to look and to talk and to dress like someone else in order to find approval and affirmation. Right? Oh, Holy Spirit's starting to convict. This is good. Thank you, Lord. They're not responding back anymore, Father. So Jacob has it all put together. So he goes back to his father and he says, Father, here I am, right? And I, I make fun of his voice because his father picks up on something as well. He says, 
blind father. He's like, which one of my sons are you? His father asked. He said, Jacob replied, I'm Esau. <laughs> Your firstborn son, I've done what you told me to do. Father, please sit up and eat the meat that I have brought you so that you can give me your blessing. My son, come closer where I can touch you and find out if you're really Esau. Isaac is like, something's not right. So Jacob steps closer. He's so close to the blessing, but I could be blown at any moment. But he says it's right there. He's wanted this his whole life. His father touched him and he said, okay, you sound like Jacob. But your hands feel hairy like Esau. And so Isaac in this moment takes the bait and he pronounces a blessing over Jacob. Legally binding blessing, thinking it was Esau the whole time. Then Esau comes in a little bit later though. He's out of breath. I'm sure he's been out working real hard to honor his father one more time with his favorite meal. And he comes in. Well, who are you, Isaac asked. He said, Dad, I'm Esau, your firstborn son. Isaac now begins to tremble. And he says, then who brought me the wild meat right before you came in? He's putting it together. He says, I ate it. And Jacob got the blessing, and it cannot be taken back, son. And Esau began to weep and cry out in distress. Father, give me a blessing too. Isaac said, your brother tricked me and stole your blessing, man. You see why it matters to protect your identity? Do you see what happens? And the blessing of God? Esau replied, ooh, my brother deserves the name Jacob. Oh, you named him right. He said, because he's cheated me not once but twice. The first time he cheated me out of my rights as a firstborn son, and now he has cheated me out of my blessing. Then Esau asked his father, he said, don't you have any, just one blessing for me? I hurt for Esau, don't you, a little bit? Yeah, I know he kind of asked for it, but this stinks, man. My son, I've made Jacob the ruler over you and your brothers and all of you. That, and you're going to be his servants. That's it. He says, I've also promised him all the grain. I've given him all the grapes he needs. There is nothing I can do that's left for you, Esau. Father, don't you have one more? Surely you could do something. Then Esau started crying again. Esau hated his brother Jacob because he had stolen the blessing that was supposed to be his. So he said to himself, Ooh, just as soon as my father dies, I'm going to go kill Jacob. And I believe him. You see, the blessing was good. How it was gotten was bad. My point is, guys, it's not what you get that's wrong. It's how you get it. It's how you go about getting the things that you need and you want. Jacob thought, man, I finally got what I'm looking for. But what he did not consider is it was going to come at a very high cost. You see, Jacob, he now has to run away from home. Why? Because he's fearful of being killed by Esau. But Jacob leaves home, never getting a real blessing from his father. All he got was something that was stolen that was never his to begin with. Right? Now he's in this foreign land and fearful of his life. And because Esau is hunting him down to possibly kill him, he begins to hide, and so this is where we pick up in the story. When Esau has figured out where Jacob is at, he's narrowed it down. When messengers returned, they told Jacob this. They were like, man, listen, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is headed this way with 400 men. And then Jacob prayed, oh, Lord, wouldn't you if you're Jacob? Oh, Lord, you're the God who was worshipped by my grandfather Abraham and by my father Isaac. You told me to turn around to call home to my family, and you promised that you would be with me and make me successful. Oh, Father, please rescue me from my brother. I'm afraid he's going to come and attack not only me, but he's going to kill my wives. He's going to kill my children. He's going to kill everybody up in here. Afterwards, Jacob sends off his family. He tries to split up the camp a little bit. And Jacob goes back by himself in this little camp he had set up. And to spend the rest of the night, how? See, this is, this is what trying to rip off someone else's identity is going to get you, students. When you try to get something else that someone else has, and you try to get their identity, do you know what happens? You have to keep this thing up. And you're going to feel so alone because no one knows the real you because you can't show the real you. So no one can get to know the real you, right? So 
It's a very lonely thing to put on someone else's identity. And I imagine as Jacob is laying in the, under the stars just thinking, man, I don't know if it, this was worth it all. Guess what happens? Jacob is laying there, and someone shows up in his camp. Now understand, it's just Jacob. And all of a sudden, this man shows up, but it's not Esau. We don't know who this man is. This man shows up, students, and begins to fight and wrestle with Jacob. We don't, I don't understand the, I, scripture really doesn't open, the, I don't know how this all began, but it began, and it began, and it lasted all night long. Jacob and this man wrestling against one another, back and forth, back and forth. And a man came and fought with Jacob, it says in scripture, until before daybreak. When the man saw that he could not win, he struck Jacob on the hip and he threw it out of joint. Now all night he'd been wrestling with Jacob. But isn't it interesting that all night, this is back and forth, this back and forth, but the sun started to come up and he just goes, boop, broken hip. Who is this man? Guys, would you believe that it was God himself showing up to Jacob? Why would he want to come to and hang out with someone called a deceiver and heel grabber? You're going to find out. They kept wrestling until the man said, God said, let go of me, it's almost daylight. Well, why does that matter? You see, no human being can ever look directly into the face of God. His glory is so powerful that it will kill you. But here's the thing, daylight is starting to come and it's starting to illuminate the face of God. And Jacob won't let go. He's like, I don't care. I don't care. Even if I have to die, here's what I need from you. I realized I need something that I've been looking for in my brother and my father and through my status and through a blessing and an inheritance. All these things, I thought that's what I was looking for, but I realized in this moment what I was really looking for. I just needed someone to affirm my identity. And I realized that the one I've been wrestling with my whole life is standing before me. And I don't care if the sun's coming up and I don't care if I have to die. I'm not letting you go because he says, you can't go, God, until you bless me. I, it was your blessing that I've been chasing all along. It wasn't from a man. It wasn't from another person's status. It was you all along. Then the man asked, he said, what's your name? God doesn't ask questions he doesn't know the answer to. He wasn't trying to make small chat. He's trying to establish something. And I want you to hear this. Jacob said back, my name is Jacob. The man said, well, guess what? From now on. Your name will no longer be Jacob. Your new name will be Israel. Because you have wrestled with God and with men. And you have won. Don't, maybe Pastor Jason can explain that. I thought anytime you try to wrestle with God, he's always going to pin you down and make you cry uncle. I thought he wins every time. You see, God isn't about as much winning as he is trying to affirm and establish something much more than just a match. It's not about keeping score, guys. Doesn't matter who wins or loses. Jesus came. God came this night because he saw what this young man or this man who's now in his 40s or so been looking for his whole life. He's like, I'm going to just mess with you all night long. Jacob wrestled with God and he won. And he says, well, Jacob, before you go, what's your name? God's like, don't you know who I am? And the man blessed Jacob in this moment. The thing that he had been chasing his whole life was given to him in this moment. But not only did he have the blessing, he got a new identity out of it. He got a new name. Everybody say new name. And he says, I have seen the face of God and I'm still alive. That's so powerful. As I was thinking about this. Now, I know I'm painting myself out to be the hero in this particular part of the story, but it's just true. When I was 14, I remember laying in bed at night, and I know it's weird, and like I said, it's because I'm more of Jacob than I am an Esau, but I was thinking about marriage. How many 14-year-old boys are thinking about marriage? Well, one or two, okay? And I was just thinking about my future wife, and I knew it would be at least 10 years before I even met her. And I knew it was going to be that much longer before I started having kids. But I started thinking about my kids one night. I'm 14. 
I have pimples on my face. I'm just trying to get out of seventh grade for the second time, and I'm thinking about marriage. So I'm laying there. I never forget. I begin to think about what my kids would be like, and, and then I came across, I just started thinking about names. <laughs> okay, that should answer some questions for a lot of you in here. But I was like, what would I call, if I had a son, what would I name him? And I began to think about what he would look like, and I just began to entertain. I was like, if I ever have a son, I'm naming, naming him David Jr. 14. I was thinking about my son. Years before homeboy ever showed up. Years before he even had a wife to have a baby with. But I'm thinking about him. He was on my mind. He was on my heart. Guys, as I laid there, I liked entertaining this thought. And I went, if I ever have a little girl, I'm going to name her Ashley. And guys, y'all know that you know my story. I have two kids, David Jr. and Ashley. Now, I share this with you because in the Bible it says that before the earth was even here, God the Father was thinking about you way before you ever showed up. And he was thinking about what's their identity? What's the name I'm going to give them? What is their purpose? He's dreamt about each and every one of you in here. He knows what he's made you for and to do and to be. But when we chase other identities and we put on wool and we try to wear someone else's clothes and try to sound and talk like them, man, you're ripping yourself off. So when my little baby girl was born, and Dave Jr., let me just start with Dave Jr. When he was finally there, I'll never forget it. He's fresh born. He was so mad to be getting out of his mother's womb. Like, he, I think he would, he would still be in there today if it were up to him because he just loved it there. He comes out ticked, crying. His little chin was quivering with no teeth. But I'm holding him. And this was the first words I told my son. I held him and I said, son, I love you. And I said, son, Jesus loves you. I wanted that to be the very first thing that little baby's ears heard. Why? Because I understand the power of affirming your child as a father. And only a father. There, no one can take the place of a father. When my baby girl was born, this sweet little blonde kid came out. Like, what? DNA's weird, y'all. Like, there's no blonde-haired, blue-eyed people. And all of a sudden she comes out and I'm holding this beautiful girl that I thought about when I was 14. Now I'm like in my late 30s. I'm holding her. Ashley's here. And I look at her and I said, baby, daddy loves you and Jesus loves you. About 10 minutes into her being here on the planet, there's a picture I want to show you. That's little baby Ashley. Guess whose pinky that is? That's her father's. Now, I share this with you. I share this with you. Don't jack with my moment. Don't get weird. Check this out. <laughs> Why do I share this with you? Because, guys, too many students have no idea the type of a father's love that this could be for them. They've grown up and they've tried to win their father's approval. And their fathers have tried. Listen, I'm not dogging dads tonight. I'm just simply saying that all of us, even me, man, I failed my son David wherever he's at. Clearly I failed him. He doesn't even show up for the last song of worship. <laughs> but you know what I'm trying to say? But when we look at our earthly fathers and their humanity, they're trying. Sometimes we think God's the exact same way. So if you've had a father walk out the door on you, or you have a father who's verbally abusive, or you have a father who um, is whatever, and just a physically abusive, whatever those things are, we begin to put those attributes on God, and we begin to say, that's who you are. And I don't want anything to do with someone like that. But I want to tell you tonight, some of you tonight have been wrestling with God. And you've been coming to DSM recently, and you're like, man, I'm kind of into this, but man, you just, you can't, you You've been struggling. You're like, I, I, can't, I can't call him my father. I just, oh, and you've been wrestling with God. But he has aligned your steps tonight to lead you into this room. Because just like Jacob, he's walking into your old deceitful heel grab himself. And he's saying, listen, I am here to affirm you.
Hey, brother, do you mind? Thank you. This is such a big deal that someone tonight, their identity is going to be changed and the course of their eternity is going to be changed because they discovered that God loved them all along. You see, God is here to tell you, put the picture back up if you don't mind. He's saying, listen, you don't have to grab heels anymore. Grab my hand instead. You don't have to grab heels anymore. You see, Jesus, he says in the word of God that he lifts us up with his victorious right hand. He's a hand that never lets go. And let me tell you something. If God had let go of my hand at some point, I would not be up here talking about how awesome it is that he holds your hand. I'm up here because I know my father is good and he loves me and he loves you. Will you just simply let God love you? Because tonight, he's here to give you a new name and your own identity. And you don't have to walk in insecurity and jealousy of what you see around you and what people have that you don't have. God says, I love you. I love you so much that I've brought you into this room because I want to make things right. You will no longer be called Jacob. I will call you Israel because you've wrestled with me and I'm gonna let you win. And I'm gonna give you the blessing. There is this moment where Jesus needed to be affirmed by his father and he's being baptized and there's this moment, it says as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting up and apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice from heaven, the father, he says, you are my son, my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Even Jesus needed to be affirmed by God the father and God is here to affirm you tonight. That's only something a father can say. But you know, I never heard those words from my dad in earnest until I was in my 40s. And here's what's crazy. I didn't even think I needed to hear from my earthly father, David, I'm proud of you. But I'll never forget it when he said it. Guys, it was the weirdest thing. Something came alive in my heart. And part of the fire and part of the passion that I'm preaching with tonight is because my father, my earthly father said, I'm proud of you. Some of you may not ever hear that in your lifetime. And so right now, I thought, Lord, how do you want me to land this sermon? This is what he told me he wants me to do. I am no longer your youth pastor in this moment. I'm going to speak to each and every one of you in here, adults included, as your father. Because I have the right. I am one. And maybe you've never had your identity affirmed. And maybe you've never had a fatherly blessing spoken over you before. Tonight, your heavenly father wants to ask Will you stop wrestling me and let me just bless you right now? Would you turn off the lights in the house? In the moment, in this moment as a father, I'm speaking on the behalf of God the Father, and I want to personally give you a fatherly blessing. And this isn't just something nice to say to you guys because I really, really love you and you know I do. But I am speaking something that every single person needs to hear. So I'm going to declare this over you. And so you, can, you don't have to walk through your life going, I never was blessed or affirmed by my father. So by the spiritual authority that God has given me, I'm going to ask you to stand up and open up your hands if you want a blessing. If you want me to speak a blessing over you as a father, not as your youth pastor, but as a father, on the behalf of a reflection of God's heart for you. Put your hands up. Open them out to receive the blessing. This is a supernatural declaration I'm about to place in you and on you and over you. In Jesus' name, Father, empower this blessing. In the name of Jesus to every student that is in this room, for the sake of the Father's love, may God be gracious to you. May he bless you. May God's face shine upon you, students. May you be strengthened with all power according to God, God's glorious might. May you be filled with joy. May God give you the desires of your heart and make all of your plans succeed. As a father, I declare and I pray that in all respects, may you prosper and be in good health just as the soul prospers. I pray for every student in here that the love of our heavenly father may abound more and more and more in you. 
with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and to the praise of God the Father. Students, as a father, I declare over you this blessing. According to the riches of God's glory, Father, grant every student and adult to be strengthened with power through your spirit in their innermost being so that Christ may dwell in their heart through faith and that they may be rooted and grounded in love. May they have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that every student and adult in here receiving this blessing that may they be filled with the fullness of God the Father. God, in the name of Jesus, Give every student and adult in here your strength to steer them, your power to uphold them, their eye for their vision, wisdom to guide, your ear for their hearing, your word for their speech, your hand to protect them, your pathway before them. In the name of Jesus, your shield for their shelter, your angels to guard them from ambush of devils, from the flesh's hunger for sin, from the traps of the flesh, from all who wish to harm them and bring ill to them, whether distant or close, alone in the presence of many, Christ beside every single one of them, Christ before them, Christ within them, Christ beneath them, Christ above them, Christ on their right hand, Christ on their left hand, Christ where they sleep, Christ where they sit, Christ where they rise, Christ in the hearts of all those who think of him, Christ in the mouths of all who speak to him, Christ in every eye that sees him, Christ in every ear that hears him. Father, I thank you for every student and adult in here. Keep your hands up. Please continue and complete, Father, your work within them in the name of Jesus, granting that they may walk with you like Enoch, believe you like Abraham, obey you like Isaac, wrestle with you like Jacob, know your hand on their life like Joseph, speak face to face with you like Moses, win victories for you like Gideon, speak boldly for you like Elijah, worship you like David, see you high and lifted up like Isaiah, and carry Jesus' cross like Simeon, and in the all powerful name of Jesus, the one who restores lost icons, lost sons and daughters of God. Uh, you, Father, may each one in here walk this earth in the confidence of your love, approval, and the truth that they know that they are approved of, they are dearly loved, and they are, in fact, sons and daughters of the Most High God, our Father, in Jesus' name. If you receive that, say amen. Let's begin to worship.